Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Unfiltered, the weather. Used to be if you wanted to avoid controversial or divisive topics with other people, talking about the weather was your safest bet. Not anymore. Now, as is the case with everything else, politics has corrupted the last safe refuge of polite conversation. Hurricane Dorian has neared the end of its destructive path, but the Trump administration is still trying to prove that the president's false warning from a week ago about where the storm would hit was actually not factually inaccurate. The president himself sending yet another tweet on the subject just an hour ago, but it reached new heights late yesterday with a federal agency backing Trump's false rationales over its own scientists and meteorologists. Friday afternoon, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, released a carefully worded and courageously unsigned statement that defended the president's Sunday declaration that Alabama would most likely be hit much harder than anticipated. Two days after the National Weather Service had the storm on a much different path. The unsigned statement reads in part, from Wednesday, August 28th through Monday, September 2nd, the information provided by NOAA and the National Hurricane Center to President Trump and the wider public demonstrated that tropical storm force winds from Hurricane Dorian could impact Alabama. Also in the statement, NOAA, which is the parent agency of the National Weather Service, reprimanded the Birmingham National Weather Service office for debunking the president's factually incorrect warning. The Birmingham National Weather Service's Sunday morning tweet spoke in absolute terms that were inconsistent with probabilities from the best forecast products available at the time. That led the president of the National Weather Service Employees Organization to tweet, let me assure you the hard-working employees of the National Weather Service had nothing to do with the utterly disgusting and disingenuous tweet sent out by NOAA management tonight. Here's tonight's headline. This is a five-alarm fire, folks. Really let this sink in. This president got a government agency to contradict its own scientists to help make his falsehood sound more true. It is insane. And all this while an actual weather disaster was ravaging the Bahamas and the U.S. coastline. All this while people, people were dying during a week in which many Americans were preparing for or enduring a hurricane, the president and his lackeys spent their time crafting revisionist history, all because he can't just say I made a mistake. The stunning lengths he would go to throughout this week included personally doctoring a days-old official map with a Sharpie, calling a Fox News reporter into the Oval Office to argue his point. Tweeting out week-old trajectory maps as the active hurricane was hitting the U.S. on its actual trajectory, which is unwise at best, dangerous at worst. Trump could have said I misspoke, 
been done with it. He could have ignored it altogether. But no, instead he spent the week trying to make it true and enlisting journalists, scientists, government officials in his deranged campaign. This isn't the first time a taxpayer-funded federal agency has been tasked with doing the president's bidding either. It's literally been happening since day one. After the National Park Service retweeted side-by-side photos showing Trump's inauguration crowd compared to Obama's, Trump reportedly called the agency, urging them to find photos, proving his claim that it was the biggest inauguration crowd ever. There was Trump's Orwellian clampdown on the EPA's social media footprint and mass deletions of climate change content from government websites. There was Homeland Security parroting Trump's false claim that tremendous amounts of his border wall had been built when, in fact, the wall construction DHS was touting was just replacing old barriers in a plan that had been approved in Obama's first term. Those are just a few. There are more, alarmingly, many more. Here's the deal. What the president did is truly indefensible. It's also likely illegal under the U.S. Code titled False Weather Reports, making it a crime to make false claims under the authority of government weather science. But this habit of using our government to cover for his inaccuracies, lies, and failures is an abuse of power. Some see it as worse. Gary Kasparov, America's most well-known former Soviet dissident, tweets about this kind of authoritarian behavior often. 2018, he posited that blatant lies aren't just misinformation, they are loyalty tests. Obvious lies reveal the devotion of those who concur and the integrity of those who do not. I guess we know where NOAA stands. I'm joined now by former NOAA Principal Deputy and General Counsel Monica Medina. Monica, you were shocked by the NOAA statement, right? I was shocked. I found it completely unprecedented and really dangerous and out of control. Well, the former NOAA chief operating officer also tweeted, perhaps the darkest day ever for NOAA leadership. Don't know how they will ever look their workforce in the eye again. Moral cowardice. What's your thought on that? I completely agree. And the fact that no one was willing to put their name on that statement means that it was the subject of political pressure. And that's just been unheard of in the Weather Service. And it's dangerous. It puts American lives at risk. Yeah, I was going to ask you, as former general counsel, not signing it, does that have a legal kind of uh, protection for for NOAA or for whoever drafted it? What what did you make of that? Well, I think there ought to be an investigation and figure out who was behind that and why they let it go. If I had been general counsel at the time, I would have pushed back hard. And if my bosses had told me to put that out, I would have quit. And I can tell you that the Hmm. previous NOAA administrators all disavowed that statement today. The ones I worked for were as horrified as I was at this turn of events. Well, and I know, I mean, I know there are great people that work there. What do you think morale is like for them? It's devastating, and you well-documented all the ways that the president has undermined other agencies. But until now, NOAA had been relatively unscathed, and that's a good thing because we need the public to trust those forecasts and to believe that they're true, and we need those weather forecasters to be able to make those little corrections. That wasn't a big deal what the Birmingham Weather Office did to correct the misperception about the storm track. That's exactly what we should want them to do. now, I think they'll all think twice. Monica Medina, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. 
Now let me bring in the host of the Van Jones Show, Van Jones. Um, Van, you worked in the Obama administration on, on green jobs initiatives. Um, if Obama did what Trump just did, oh my God. Republicans would have oh, well, I mean, impeached him I mean, he, he, he would already five be minutes impeached. ago. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. been What'd you right, make of this, right this week? Well, look, there's, there's a politics of it, but I think we should talk about like the, the human reality of it. Okay. Um, you know, our government works in a particular way for a reason. The, the civil servants, are, they're not political people. Right. They're not elected. They don't, they, they stay, they, I call them the B team. They're going to be there. Uh, you know? yeah. Administration after administration, they have a job to do for the American people. Not for the American uh, president mm-hmm. or prime minister or overlord, but just for the American people. For those people to not be able to just do their job, which is to make sure that we don't have one state over-preparing for something, another yeah. state under-preparing, for that to become a political issue is shocking. It's, a, it's everybody, oh, I love America. I'm such a patriot. God bless America. I'm making America great again. All that stuff. This is the opposite mm. of what a great country does and what a great government does. It's literally the opposite, and it's very dangerous. How do we... How do we trust anything anymore? I mean, when you, we now know that an official government agency was, was, was willing to distort the truth to help the president. Yeah. How do we trust anything? I mean, that's really, I mean, that's that we're, we're talking about now uh, the last of the quote, quote, Sacred cows. Excuse yeah. me. Wait, I don't want to offend any vegans out there. Right. <laughs> the last of the sacred cows yeah. is being slaughtered. I mean, this is this is it. There's certain things that everybody expects the government to do. You're supposed to deliver the mail. Yeah. You know, gather data on yeah. what's going on with the crawdads and the critters and mm-hmm. that kind of. All that stuff is just basic government functions. When that gets political, when you actually have have this is this is 1984. Yeah. This is George right. Orwell. Yeah. You have to unthink what you just thought. You have to unspeak what you just spoke because the government changed its mind. And we have arrived at that uh, threshold. And in some ways, people keep, why, why do you guys keep picking on the president for this? Because we understand what Kasparov was saying mm-hmm. is that this is it's a loyalty test. Yeah. Will you believe? How far are you willing to go for me? How far are you willing to go for me? Will you believe this Sharpie yeah. over the entire uh, U.S. government? Yeah. And some people say, yeah, I will. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> I, I feel like there are no, co- like this, this will work mm-hmm. for his base. They'll say, yeah, he said it. Mm-hmm. And why are you picking on him? Mm-hmm. This will work. What yeah. will the consequences be other than, you know, really tearing into yeah. the trust and integrity the, of these institutions? These, these, these are the termite days. Mm-hmm. These are the termite days when you're boring into the basic uh, public confidence in institutions, the basic uh, legitimacy of institutions. Someday then those floorboards get tested when you have to trust the government. Right. Are we going to go to war or not? Right. We don't know if we can trust the facts. Are, are you going? Are we going to, you know, prepare for a storm? Are we going to prepare mm. for a plague? Mm, mm. We don't know if we can trust the fact. These are the termite days where you're boring in and boring in. At some point, those boards get tested and they break, and you don't have a functional society or government. I also just think. I mean, I can see the the ads now. They're writing themselves. Republicans are anti-science. Right. Well, sure. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, for a certain base of voters mostly female and in the suburbs, who maybe gave Trump a chance, uh, but who also then decided they wanted to send a bunch of Democrats to Congress in in 18, this kind of stuff is not good. I mean, for them, they're going to say, hold on a second, Uh, science? (laughs) And also, I mean, again, I just want to say, government workers. Yes. you got to go to work Mm -hmm. on Monday and say, geez, if I do my job the right way, I might get smacked down 
on national television, global television, by the president and by my own bosses in unsigned public statements. Yes. How do I do my job? And, and, and this is, again, it's a corrosive yeah. effect uh, on the morale of America's uh, government's workers mm-hmm. and on the trust of the American people. Um, well, they're all just there for Trump's benefit. Right. Every, well, every every lever, every population, every group of people, it's, they're, they're all just there to service Trump. Apparently, it's really, really, um, it's grotesque. Well, look, we, we, we do have a, uh, an election coming up, and uh, I just have to say that uh, I interviewed uh, candidate Cory Booker. He's got to be on my show, and maybe there's some hope there. I don't know. I, I was just, I was just going to promo. Van, always yeah. good to have you on. Very, Definitely very stick around for his show at the top of the hour when... Van will talk to 2020 candidate Cory Booker and freshman Congresswoman Katie Porter. Don't miss the Van Jones Show, 7 o'clock after Unfiltered. Um, Up next in this hour, he promised repeatedly over and over, in fact, that Mexico would pay for the wall. Now it seems military families and you will be footing the bill. That's next. Amidst troubling 2020 polling numbers, a dimming economic outlook, an unpopular trade war and Sharpie gate, President Trump's back is against a metaphorical wall. So he's snuggling up to his political security blanket, a literal wall, the border wall. In a desperate attempt to circumvent Congress, the president used an emergency declaration to divert $3.6 billion from the military to help fund his biggest and still unfulfilled campaign promise. Defense Secretary Mark Esper signed off on that move this week. So where was that money supposed to go? Nine schools and a daycare center for children of military families. A fire station at Florida's Tyndall Air Force Base that was destroyed by a hurricane. Hurricane Maria rebuilding efforts in Puerto Rico. Overall, 127 projects spanning 23 states including Trump-friendly states like Texas, Kentucky, and South Carolina, and at least 19 countries are being put on hold. Now, the Pentagon maintains that these funds are merely deferred, but what that actually means is Congress would have to fund them again, a.k.a. best-case scenario, your tax dollars will pay for the same thing twice. Here to discuss is Democratic Congressman from Texas, Mark Vesey, Congressman, this move hits GOP and Democratic districts and states alike. It hits lawmakers who supported Trump's emergency declaration. In fact, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he will protect funding for a new middle school on a base in his state, a school that was marked to lose its funding. Are you hearing from any of your Republican colleagues in Texas? I'm I'm curious to know what they're saying about these cuts. Yeah, you know, a lot of them uh, here are obviously very afraid of Trump, uh, concerned that they'll uh, face a backlash in their own districts. But uh, Will Hurd, who's a member of Congress from San Antonio, he's spoken out against these cuts. Hmm. uh, And we need more people from our delegation to speak out. Uh, Let me tell you, before I was on Energy and Commerce Committee, I served three terms on the Armed Services Committee. I've visited at least five Texas bases over the last uh, two years. Mm -hmm. And I can personally tell you uh, that the number one priority that all these base commanders have is MILCON, military construction uh, project money. Uh, all, all of these bases need to be updated in some form or fashion. Many yeah. of them 
uh, are, are way behind, including uh, at bases like Lackland that does uh, almost all the training for uh, incoming military uh, personnel in the Air Force. And uh, this is just really going to be devastating uh, to these communities and to these bases that have been counting on this money uh, for quite a long time. Uh, and it's just, and people should be mad. I don't care if you wear a MAGA hat or if uh, you are a, a Democrat uh, here in California, wherever you may happen to be, like people should be upset about this because these families and these, and these generals and the people that work on these bases have been counting on this money for a long, long time. Yeah, and in addition to um, the way that this will punish military families and military communities, what else will these will these cuts mean for your state? Uh, God, for for Texas, uh, the cuts are going to be uh, devastating. I mean, you're talking about like, for instance, one of the facilities that I visited in San Antonio. It was so outdated that they actually uh, assigned people who were going to be able to use the, the new facilities by their last name. So it was basically a, a, a lottery. If you were, you know, A through L, uh, then you got to use the new facilities. But if yeah. you were, you mm -hmm. know, M through Z, uh, then you had to use the, the older facilities where there was like not as uh, good of ventilation, not as, uh, up, not as much updated technology. Uh, and it's really going to hurt our, our personnel. And I'll tell you what else disturbs me, too, is that some of these cuts are also going to hurt personnel that are serving overseas. Many of these maintenance facilities that were slated to be updated with this MILCON money was to support operations specifically overseas in places like Bahrain, uh, where, uh, you know, you're much closer to radical uh, activity. And so the fact that the president is doing this, I mean, it, it, it is really going to not only hurt our military, because I've been, again, waiting for the money for a long time, but I really think that it puts a lot of our personnel uh, in immediate jeopardy, well, particularly overseas. So what should Congress do about this runaround? You're supposed to have the power of the purse. Y'all already voted for the allocation of this money for those projects. And right. he's kind of going around you guys. What, what can you do? Yeah, obviously, you know, we need to push back on, on this. Uh, this is uh, not not good. Uh, and hopefully uh, some of this can be, uh, you know, taken care of in negotiations between the House and the Senate. Uh, but, you know, that is a big problem in Congress. You know, the fact that we have abdicated so much of our power to the executive branch. It doesn't matter if it's a Democrat yeah. or a Republican in charge, uh, you know, it, it, you know, letting the executive branch and not even sure who the person is that are making all these decisions be able to do drastic things like make cuts to military spending yeah. is, is, is not good. It's not how our Constitution was designed and set up. Congressman V.C., um, always good to have you on. Thanks so much for coming. I see. Democratic candidates are in New Hampshire today making their cases to the first in the nation primary state. One candidate is facing heat for a case he tried to make earlier this week. I will get into that. And later, the president tries to turn the page on a rough week with a rally in North Carolina on Monday ahead of a con congressional contest that may give us an indication of whether or not voters still buy his spin. Nineteen of the Democratic presidential candidates descended upon New Hampshire today for the state's, state's party convention. They each took the stage to make their case to voters. A lot of eyes on Senator Bernie Sanders, who beat Hillary Clinton in that state's primary in 2016. Here's Senator Sanders making his plea to voters earlier today. This country cannot continue to have a president who is a pathological liar, who even uses his Sharpie pen 
to lie about the direction of a hurricane. How crazy is that? <laughs> this comes following a climate change town hall on CNN in which many of the candidates shared their plans. One moment involving Sanders stood out to many. Here's the entire exchange. Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Well, Martha, the answer is yes. <laughs> And the answer has everything to do with the fact that women in the United States of America, by the way, have a right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. And the Mexico City Agreement, which denies American aid to those organizations around the world that, are, uh, that allow women to have abortions or even get involved uh, in birth control, to me is totally absurd. So I think, especially in poor countries around the world, uh, where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies, and where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have, something I very, very strongly uh, support. Well, that didn't go over well, because most people don't think eugenics is a great idea. In fact, if you ask me, it's a disqualifying idea. We reached out to the Sanders camp for clarification, and they provided us a statement, which reads, Bernie has always opposed governments dictating any limits on how, if, and when people start and grow families, both in the U.S. and around the world. Bernie believes that federal government does not have the right to make a whim women's choices for them. When he's in the White House, Bernie will fight back against the Republican assault on abortion rights across the country and defend a woman's right to control her own body around the world. Here to discuss this, Republican strategist Michael Singleton, Democratic strategist and CNN political commentator Aisha Moody-Mills. Um, that statement, sure, Michael, is basically <laughs> responding to straw men. Right. I, uh, we, did, we didn't ask him about his position on um, abortion. I, 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 I know where he stands. just around it. Um, yeah. Bernie's always opposed governments dictating any limits on how, if, and when people start to grow families. I never said you didn't. That's not the point. I, this is actually not complicated, Shermichael. A woman asked if he would make curbing population growth right. a part of his plan to address climate change, to which he said unequivocally, yes. Mm -hmm. And then, that's disturbing enough, and then offered up himself that protecting abortion rights in third world countries will be part of that plan. And this reminds me of Margaret Sanger. It Eugenics 2.0, and as an African-American, this concerns me more than anything else. And this it is should. a part of the problem with Bernie Sanders and his idea of socialism. I'm reminded of the aphorism, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't see how this guy is any different, to be quite frank, than Donald Trump with the love of control he wants to have mm. over the average person. Mm. That's extremely problematic. It's disqualifying to me, and it goes to show you why Bernie Sanders has not done well with African Americans. Aisha, saving the planet through fewer poor black and brown babies. I'm curious, how does a liberal hear that? 
Okay, so first of all, as a liberal, I yes. think this whole conversation is like extremely disingenuous. Bernie Sanders There's did not disingenuous did, about Bernie my outrage Sanders over what he said. Did not get Please. on the stage Please. and say Please. that he did not have a eugenics conversation. Now, what he did—he was asked, "Are you interested in curbing population?" And he made the control. wrong answer yes. by saying yes, but that was because well, Bernie Sanders' biggest problem, in my humble opinion, is that he flubs just like Joe Biden flubs. We and asked he did him to not, clarify. He Aisha. did not. He did not change his he mind. He did not lean into a conversation about climate change in that statement. He actually started talking about the woman's right to choose. And I think that what he did wrong mm -hmm. is that he was not able to pivot from a ridiculous question and actually make a point that is a point that he makes all he the time. He didn't pivot. He said yes. Affirmedly. He answered yes. Sure. So you think he misspoke? I think that Bernie Sanders misspoke. And I say this as someone who does not defend Bernie Sanders no, no, and, and certainly is not on his so, payroll. I if you look at my Twitter, sure, you sure. all know how I feel no, no, about Bernie Sanders. But I think it's disingenuous to try to feed a very right-wing, rabid idea to just try to say the socialist guy wants to kill our babies. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't call me disingenuous. I'm genuinely outraged about this because it's disgusting. And the majority of the country is not interested in population control. Sure. It's an extreme idea. And I said yes. I totally agree with you. And he did not say he believes deeply in population control. Excuse me. We need to have facts. Yes, and he should have said no. We need to have facts on this show. We need to have facts on this show. Could have said yes to that. Do you? Would you be courageous I enough think to the discuss? Question was outrageous. Me. Do you? Was outrageous. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? The answer, yes. Martha, is yes. And yes. the answer has everything to do with the fact that, uh, look, don't put words in his mouth. This is what he said. I asked for clarification. He did not take it back. Nothing he said in his statement changes what he said here. I am not a Bernie Sanders apologist. I will say, though, that what I have not seen is anyone other than you being as outraged and interpreting this well, well, in the same way. Well, well, so well, go on the Google. What well, go I'm on the Google. It's is not that just he me. does have some explaining to do, but sure. I do not believe that those two conversations were intended to be conflated. I think that he, he did not respond I, well to this question that, in my mind, frankly, I, I think you're, inven you're, in, you're, but, inventing, but say, you're inventing a, a justification I, for this. I do want to say, I know your position. I follow you. I've known you for a while. So I believe what you're saying. But my point. Aisha would be if he did misspeak. They had a clear opportunity to clarify. He didn't say, wait a minute, yes, well, wait a minute. I'm not for back population control. He expounded upon the yes, which I find I to be problematic. And when given the opportunity, but when given the opportunity, but when given the opportunity, when asked by mm. this show to clarify, to add further specificity, he did not at all. All right, That's let me, extremely let me, problematic so let, me, to me. let me move on just a little. Sure. Same, same theme. Um, Aisha, Joe Biden's been criticized in the past for pretty, pretty clearly defending the China one-child policy. It was a while ago. Biden also isn't always very clear with his words. Do you think... Mm -hmm. That'll come up in the next debate. Will this kind of live on? You're making my point is that I think that both Bernie and Biden are men of a certain age. I think that they have what we're as the media kind of pushing off as gaffes, which aren't necessarily clarifications. Oh, I don't think positions. this is a gaffe. I think, I think he meant that. It. I, I think that they say things often, not really knowing how it lands, not necessarily knowing how it's going to land on people and yeah, what sure. they really mean. Yeah. I think that that's ultimately the problem hmm. is that both Biden and both and Bernie, yeah. they kind of flip off and they say things and then 
you're like, oh, I don't know why people are outraged. Well, it's because you're not necessarily prepared and clear in the first in the first place. Well, I would generally be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt, but there is no way in the world I'm giving Bernie Sanders the benefit of the doubt because of this reason. He did not walk it back. He expounded upon the yes. That's problematic to me, too. When confronted with this and given the opportunity to respond, they didn't even answer the question at all. Nope. They started talking about something that was completely irrelevant. All right, guys. So well, I have to got, take them at face value. We've got a we've got a um, debate next week. Yeah, yes. we do. Maybe we'll yes. see if he provides some clarification if it comes up again. Shermichael, Aisha, thank you guys both thank so you. much for being here. Thanks, up next, lower than expected job growth, a contracting manufacturing sector, unresolved trade wars. The president's once strong re-election pillar is showing signs of strain. In the red file tonight, President Trump's fate in 2020 is tied closely to the fate of the economy. And right now, he has new reasons to be concerned. The latest jobs report for one, employers adding 130,000 jobs, fewer than the anticipated 150,000. Also this week, we learned that the manufacturing sector shrank for the first time in three years. Trade wars, it seems, are not easy to win. Data suggests, and most economists agree, that the economy is heading for a downturn. But there are still quite a few factors that could impact that. And the president's 2020 chances, too. Trade talks, as we learned from China, are on the docket for October. And Congress will tackle the USMCA. That's the NAFTA do-over when they get back. As one strategist put it, the state of the economy is the single biggest factor in determining whether the president is reelected. And right now it feels like they're riding a rubber ducky into alligator-infested waters. Well, he joins me now, former aide to House Speaker John Boehner and partner at Hamilton Place Strategies, Michael Steele. Uh, so, Mike, how bad is it for Trump? We don't know yet. I mean, look, he has an incredible story to tell. Millions and millions of jobs created, record-setting loan employment, and those things aren't an accident. We're at the very end of a long economic expansion, slow as it was at the beginning, and his policies, tax reform, deregulation, are a big part of that. At the same time, with these other policies, particularly trade, it feels like he's continually breakdancing on the lip of a volcano, waiting for Brexit. Where do you or come up with trust? these, Mike? It's <laughs> 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 <That was> amazing. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, no, I mean, I your just, metaphors, I, your metaphors really paint a picture. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm frustrated because I feel as though these are so many good, solid economic, conservative right. economic policies showing great results. And yet some sort of tweet or Sharpie situation involving Alabama and a hurricane or China trade or right. whatever it is tomorrow morning could upend the apple cart. And that's well, really scary and frustrating. And for the first time in his presidency, a plurality of voters are now saying they believe the economy is getting worse. I think I think he knows it, which is why he yeah. wants, you know, the Fed to help juice the economy. Also, maybe why he tweeted this afternoon. Our economy is doing great with five exclamation points um, just to make it super convincing. And according to new CNN reporting, he's instructing aides to develop new ideas to, yeah. you know, get folks excited about the economy. Yeah, I, I think hereby ordering the economy to improve in a tweet is uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe the strategy is going to go. No, there's, there's a lot of things that he can still do. But the biggest thing he can do and the thing that is the most unnatural to this president is offer some stability, some yeah. normalcy, the ability, you know, 
people who run large corporations want to be able to plan for the next quarter of the next year. They need to know what yeah. the tax rate, the trade policies are going to be. Offer some certainty. So you worked on campaigns for Jeb Bush, Paul Ryan. You also worked with John Boehner. I'm sure I don't have to tell you all three men are no longer <laughs> in elected politics and probably not all that relevant to today's Republican Party. Okay. I wonder what you make of the Trumpification of the GOP, where now the party supports you know, things like protectionism, eminent domain, big government, big spending, raising the debt, raising the deficit, all the things that used to be bad. Yeah, I, I, there's a certain element that always happens of rallying around a president. There's a certain element of the, the winning, uh, the person who wins the nomination comes, yeah. comes around. And, but at the same time, there's a lot of core principles of the party that have been tossed away by this president. And I do worry because this president may or may not win re-election in 2020. He will yeah. not be on the ballot in 2024. He will not be on the ballot in 2028. And as someone who wants conservatives to continue winning elections across the country and at the national level, I'm worried when I look at the numbers for under 40 people, for yeah. minorities, for women, people that are being alienated in massive numbers by this president and the policies that so many Republicans are falling in lockstep behind. I'm worried too. Um in other news, the GOP is canceling primaries in some states. Just today, South Carolina announced they will not have a Republican primary. In the GOP press statements that I'm reading, they're insisting there's precedent for this, which is true, um, that this is just a sign of how fired up they are about reelecting Trump. But yeah. isn't this just a sign of how worried the party is? Yeah, there's definitely a whiff of fear here. In the mm -hmm. modern era, presidents who have a robust primary challenger running, when they're running for re-election as president lose. Presidents that do not have a robust primary challenger win. At this point, I don't think we can characterize Joe Walsh or Bill Weld or perhaps Mark Sanford as, as robust. Right. But there is definitely, a, there is definitely mm -hmm. a hint of fear coming from the president's camp on this. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. And uh, personal note, congrats on becoming a new dad. Thank you. We'll get him up there to hang out with your boy soon. All right, good. North Carolina, still recovering from Hurricane Dorian, has a busy week ahead, including a very important election. That's next. President Trump goes to North Carolina on Monday. Will he devote some time to hurricane relief? Don't know. Will he do a political rally? Definitely. It's his favorite part of presidenting, but Monday is not supposed to be about him. It's supposed to be about a special election on Tuesday for an open House seat in a race that is, at the moment, a toss-up. The race between Republican State Senator Dan Bishop and Democrat former Marine Dan McCready in a district that includes suburbs of Charlotte has drawn national interest. It's a seat that a Democrat hasn't won since 1963 in a state that Trump won by 12 points in 2016. And yet... The president is going to rally on behalf of Dan Bishop the night before the election. Why? As David Wasserman of the Cook Political Report told the Charlotte Observer, Trump's reelection depends on North Carolina and a Democratic upset would be a genuine sign of danger for the president heading into 2020. Here with me now, Harry Enton, CNN political writer and analyst. So the 9th Congressional District, Harry, has been Republican since 1963. It is a seemingly safe Republican district, and yet they're bringing Trump in. What does that say? I mean, it tells you everything that you need to know about this national political environment. It's not good for the President of the United States. Look, we've played this game before. We mm -hmm. saw it in the lead-up to the 2018 midterms. You saw all these special elections that were in Republican-held right. districts, and the Republicans either struggled to hold them or didn't hold them, yeah. and this looks like a repeat of that. So talk about the demographics of this district in particular, and what it means for the national election. Can, can we predict anything 
out of whatever happens this look, week? Look, one special election, no, but, yeah. you know, it's part of a larger sign. And this is a district, you know, you, if you look at the suburban districts where Republicans have generally been struggling during the Trump yeah. administration, they tend to be well-educated compared to the nation as a whole. This one is about even with, in terms of education, those who have a bachelor's degree. So this is not the type of district mm. you'd necessarily expect the Democrats to be overperforming in the Trump era. So the fact that we have a close race in a district that Trump won by 12, to me, would be a genuine sign of, say, worry for the White House, especially mm-hmm. if McCready carries it. So if, if Republicans lose this seat, you think Trump's in trouble? I think Trump's in trouble regardless. I just mm. think that this is merely a manifestation of the trouble that he is in. You know, this is a district, as you know, you pointed out, has been Republican for so long. Yeah. It's a district Trump won easily. It was a district that, remember, was a very close race back in 2018, despite the ballot fraud and so on and so forth. So if this district is still close, remember what happened in 2018. Democrats rolled in that midterm election. If Democrats come close here, it's still a very bad sign for the president of the United States. Well, we'll be watching it. We'll have to have you on after. I- I'm going to be watching it so much you have no idea. I'm already Harry. refreshing the State Board of Election website right now. I know you are, Harry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming <laughs> Thank on, you. as always. All right, sit tight. We'll continue after the break. Beto O'Rourke, once a darling of the Democratic Party, is now polling at 1% in a number of polls. Even in his home state of Texas, Joe Biden is trouncing him. But that's nothing a few F-bombs can't solve. First, as you'll recall, he dropped the F-word on national television while talking about gun violence, a topic that certainly warrants some expletives. But if we were meant to believe that that was an authentic moment of emotional exasperation, he then totally ruined it by repeating it on another news show, then again repeating it on Twitter, and then releasing official campaign T-shirts with the contrived profanity written no less, no fewer than six times on them. I remember my first swear word, Beto's teenage exhilaration over using a cuss word and then his forcing it into a branding effort isn't cool or interesting. It isn't even shocking, everybody swears. It's just kind of desperate and lame. Dude, you're 46 and running for president, not class president, but actual president, president, president. Elizabeth Warren has a plan for literally everything, and your big idea is to make the F-bomb your thing? Marianne Williamson is moving hurricanes out to sea with her mind. You're making t-shirts? You think your swear word shows how angry you are? Bernie Sanders is so angry, he's even telling crying babies to keep it down. So no one is impressed. Better go back to the drawing board, Beto, and come up with another idea to save your campaign, because that one is fundamentally dumb. That's it for me. Be sure to stick around for The Van Jones Show with 2020 candidate Cory Booker. That's up next. 